Kairos. Oh, it is so good to see you. Hey, my name is Danny. I'm a campus pastor here at Hope Ames, and I get to be a part of Kairos. And uh, I tell you what, the lights are pretty bright, so I can't really see you, but it's great to know that you're in. If you're in, if you're in here, can you just give God a shout of praise? Because I just need to know. I can, I can see the front row people, and other than that, it's like, oh, hey, you know. Uh, what a fun night. Uh, let's, uh, let's make sure that we say hi to some of the most fun people in the world. Let's say hi to our friends in Iowa City. They're watching with us online. So on the count of three, would you say, hello, Iowa City, with me? One, two, three. Hello, Iowa City. We're so glad that we can get together. Uh, what a fun night. That was so cool to hear you guys singing out. Um, we're trying some new things tonight so we can uh, put out uh, a project that would be able to show people what Kairos is all about and invite them into a loving community that gets to know Jesus. Um, and what's the fun stuff? If you're not in this room, you don't know, but there's like a, a crane camera in the middle. I really wanted to ride that, um, just right in the middle of the song. Um, but I thought that might be a little inappropriate and ruin the project. So maybe that was okay that I didn't do it. Um, we're in a series right now, and it is called Forgiven. We're in a series called Forgiven. Go forward one slide. We'll take a look at the series slide. There it is. Yes, Forgiven. In this series, we are learning how to receive and share forgiveness. We started off by saying how to say I'm sorry. Then last week, we talked about forgiving ourselves. And this week, we are talking about how to forgive. How to forgive. It is very hard. No, go forward. Go two slides forward, please. I know you can. Yeah, there you go. I promise I've got it in the right order. I promise I put it in the order that I wanted it to. Am I sounding passive aggressive? Yeah. And I tell you what, that's going to tie into the, into the sermon tonight. How to forgive. Now, this can be very, very hard. This is so hard that we're splitting it up into two talks. This is a two-part finale to this series, if you will, because forgiveness is difficult and it's big. You heard about this in the, uh, in the reading tonight, Matthew chapter 18. It says this, somebody asked Jesus, his name was Peter, Lord, how often should I forgive someone? Seven times? And that sounds pretty generous. Especially in those days, in the ancient Jewish culture, they would say that forgiving somebody three times was what was expected of you. And then if you had to forgive somebody a fourth time, just forget it. Nah. So Peter's like, Jesus, seven times, am I right? And Jesus comes back and says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And in that culture, that was a way of saying, there's no use of even counting this. You are to forgive somebody every single time that they offend you. Wow, that's hard. I mean, that's pretty broad, isn't it? So you mean that I'm supposed to forgive somebody when they look at me wrong? Yes. I'm supposed to forgive somebody when they bail on our lunch date? Yes. I'm supposed to forgive someone when they lie to me? Yes. I'm supposed to forgive someone when they betray me? Yeah. Are you seeing how broad this is? Some things are little and some things are big, and so that's why we're splitting this up into two talks. Next week, I really encourage you to be there because if you don't come next week, you're gonna feel like this week might have been a little bit complete. This week is equally important, but I really want you to be here next week too because we're gonna be talking about how you forgive those big things. Those things that are sometimes life-altering for us. The things that people do to us that hurt us so bad that we're genuinely hurt and we don't know what to do next. But tonight, I want to talk about how we forgive those little offenses that oftentimes add up and lead us down a road toward bitterness. So tonight, part one, how to forgive the little things. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's the little things, baby. Some of you are on a first date and you said that a little too passionately, didn't you? <laughs> You're not coming back here together, but I hope you come back. How to forgive the little things. 
It's, uh, it's easy to get offended about the little stuff, isn't it? I believe God's got better stuff for us than to be offended by little things. But every single one of us, it is so easy to trip up over the small things that offend us. The things that we don't think are bothering us that much. But when they add up, eventually we are realizing that I'm just bitter now. What are the things that offend you? Um, if you know somebody who's, offense, who's easily offended, if you know somebody who's easily offended, go ahead and raise your hand, right? I think we can all unite on this. Do not point at the person who you think is easily offended because they will probably be offended by that, right? <laughs> so don't do that. But nonetheless, if you don't know somebody who's easily offended, you're probably not on social media or you don't leave your room very often because it is a battlefield out here sometimes. We get offended pretty easily. What are the things that you get offended about? What happens when somebody doesn't respond to your text as soon as you want them to? What happens when somebody leaves you unread? You know what I think is the worst thing in the world? This little bubble thing that shows up in my text messages. I send someone a text, they start to give me the bubbles, and I'm like, wait a second, you bubbled me and now there's nothing. I know that you saw the text. We were bubbling and now it's empty. I was anticipating something and now I'm broken, offended, disappointed. It's just a little thing, right? But things start to add up. It's like when you hold the door open for somebody and they don't thank you. I mean, that's in the Bible, right? Like, I mean, show gratitude to thou who has let you in. I mean, you know, like somewhere. It has to be. My goodness, if I didn't leave the door open for you, you'd be still stuck outside or you'd be stuck in the building. But I did it because I'm in favor of godliness, mercy, and grace. Come on! It's easy to get offended. I was in a drive through lane with my wife uh, at McDonald's. And it was one of those drive through lanes where it had the double lanes, right? So like there's the left side and there's the right side. Now I have heard from people who work at uh, drive-through lanes, it is very important that you keep the order in order. So if you're on the left side and someone on the right side has just gone forward, it is important for you to go forward next. Because if you don't go forward next, you're gonna ruin the order and you might get somebody else's order and you might be paying for somebody else's food and then they might be paying for yours. And what if your meal was bigger than theirs? It's a big catastrophe I hear. So I'm in the left lane, and I make my order, and I wait. And I let the person on the right go, because that is the right Christian thing to do. And then it's my turn. And as I ease my foot off the brake, the person in the right lane, who is in the lane that just had somebody go, screech, goes right in front of me. I mean, peeling out. They look at me, I look at them, and I'm trying to mouth and communicate to them, you're ruining the order. And I wonder what I look like, just. <laughs> she was not uh, pleased by my response to her offense. She gave me the dirtiest scowl I think that I've ever seen in my life, and I started to get a little bit scared. And then she reached down into her pocket. I'm like, what's she grabbing? She pulls out of her pocket a long finger right in the middle. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. She flies us the bird, and I don't know what this means, but then she licked her finger. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know what that means. And before I know it, I'm opening my car door. And I'm putting a foot outside because I need to confront this woman on behalf of the Lord, mind you, because I am a fan in favor of justice on behalf of the creator of this world. I need to approach this woman. My wife says, Danny, stop it. Stop it. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. It is so easy to get offended. It is so easy to find something to get offended about. The thing that I'm trying to tell you is if you are on a continuous search for reasons to be offended, you will find what you're looking for. 
There is always something to be offended about. But keep this in mind as we go through the rest of the talk tonight. Your life is more important than the offenses that hurt you. Your life is so much more than the offenses that hurt you. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to trip up over the little things. Again, next week, we're going to talk about the big things. But tonight, let's talk about those little things. What are the little things that trip you up? When Jesus was telling uh, Peter, hey, you have, to re- you have to forgive 70 times seven, he, ended up fo- he followed it up with a story. He told a story about a man who had owed an enormous debt to a king. Now, the king saw this man in debt. It was millions of dollars. Millions of dollars would be the equivalent in modern days. Millions of dollars. And then the king looks at the man and he released him and he forgave him of his debt. He had pity on him. He felt sorry for him. And he forgave him. And you would think, okay, he received some forgiveness. The king wasn't offended. He was freed of his debt. What is this guy going to go out and do? Well, it says that he went off and he found a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. Mind you, he owed millions. This guy owes a few thousand. And it's almost funny what happens next. He doesn't forgive him. But instead, what we find on the next slide that he does is he grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. What? Like, did this guy entirely miss the point? Jesus follows this up. He says that the king found out about what this guy had done. The angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured. Now, here's the part of the story that really bothers me. Are you ready? Jesus follows that by saying, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive. Whoa! Now, if you've been coming to Kairos for a while, this might shake you. Wait a second, I thought that the Bible said that it's not about what we do that gets us into heaven. It's not about what we do that excludes us from God's family. It's about what God does for us that welcomes us into God's family, right? The answer is yes. If it was about what we could do, Jesus would have never came in the first place. God would have said, you can do it, do it. But we couldn't. And so Jesus came. This is not so much about what you can do to earn your way into God's family. It is, you are in God's family and you're acting like you're not. You have the peace and security of being loved by God as his child, but you are treating yourself like you're in torment and torture. There are different things that we can do with the things that people hand us to. There are different things that we can do with the offenses. The book of Proverbs tells us this. The book of Proverbs, a proverb is essentially a little nugget of wisdom. So I turn to this book um, in the Bible for wisdom, and, and it tells us all different sorts of things, especially about forgiveness. It says, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for our offenses. So what are you doing with the offenses that you have? Are you receiving forgiveness and sharing forgiveness? Or are you tripping up over the little offenses? I imagine it like this. When somebody offends you or hurts you, they're basically giving you something that hurts, Right? They're giving you something that's uncomfortable. It's like somebody walked up to you and said, here's a cactus. Ah! Ow! And we can do a couple of different things with this, right? The first is we could grow in bitterness and we could hold on to it. And we could tell ourselves, I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to get that person back. How dare they? What were they thinking? I'll show them. And you hold on to it and you think, "Mm, I'm doing something here. You're not doing anything. You're torturing yourself. And then the next time that somebody bumps into you and offends you a little bit, your hand moves and all of a sudden you you get stabbed even more. And it hurts you even worse. I think that when somebody hurts us, it's as if they handed us a cactus. And when we hold on to those things, we're holding on to the cactus. 
When somebody offends us, especially on the little things, we have the opportunity to hold on to it and grow in bitterness, or we can put it down. Again, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. It's easy to talk about, but how do you actually do it? How do you do it in that moment, like in that interaction, when that dynamic is taking place, when somebody creates an action that is offensive and your response is really tempting? Every single conversation, every single interaction that we have, especially when it comes to offenses, there, there's a dynamic to it, right? Like there's a process. The first thing is, is that there is an action. The action of offense, right? Turn to the person next to you and say, action. And then, of course, there is a reaction. In every single dynamic that we have, there is an action and there is a reaction. But sometimes what we forget is there is a space between the action and the reaction. Sometimes that space is a microsecond. It is so short. It's quick. But between the action and the reaction, we have the chance, sometimes instinctively, I don't know, but we have the opportunity to interpret the meaning of the action. In between the action and the reaction, we have a space to interpret the action. There's one problem. We are terrible interpreters. Do you ever notice this? There's a thing that psychologists talk about. It is called fundamental attribution error. Do you want to know what it is? I'll tell you what it is. Fundamental attribution error is when we attribute our own behavior to circumstances. Do you ever notice when you make a little mistake? It's just a mistake. It's human. My goodness, I had a day. But when somebody else makes a mistake, hmm, oh, she just needs some life lessons. Oh, he just needs Jesus. We attribute it to a fault in their life, right? Like, no, that person is bad. It kind of reminds me of what we talked about over the last couple of weeks when it came to guilt and shame. We deal, we struggle with allowing our guilt to turn into shame. Guilt, the things that are bad things. Guilt is when we say, I've done a bad thing. Shame is when we say, I am the bad thing. Sometimes in this space, we allow ourselves to enter into a place where we're shaming other people. We interpret their action. It's like when you're sitting in the library, right? And you've got a snack and you really want to eat that. And it's a potato, it's a potato bag chip, potato chip. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's potato chips, whatever. And it's in that little bag. And you're opening it up, and it is so loud, especially in the library. It's just echoing and piercing people's ears. And you're like, I'm just hungry. Now, if somebody else does that, and you're studying, you're like, that, mm, that person. That person is a demon-possessed glutton, and we need to protect ourselves from them. We're so quick. In this space between the action and the reaction, we are so often attributing someone else's actions to their character. How are we doing on this? Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, love prospers when a, when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. What are you filling your space with? Are you letting it go, those small offenses? Or are you tripping over it and allowing your mind to be infected with thoughts about other people? attributing their actions with their character. It's a dangerous road, isn't it? First time somebody makes an action, we say, okay, maybe I just shouldn't trust them anymore. Second time they make an action, mm, that just tells me all about who they are. Third time somebody makes an action, that tells me all about the people who are like this person. It's a road that leads us down to some really dark, judgmental, prejudiced places. What are you filling the space between with? 
between the reaction or between the action and the reaction. God tells us, I want you to fill that with love. When are you feeling tempted to question somebody's actions, right? To make you think like, okay, well, that person's just coming after me. They're attacking me. I think about at my house, like if my wife asks me very nicely and very kindly, hey, Danny, did you take out the trash? And sometimes I just immediately want to think, what, do you think I'm lazy? I'm forgetful. I'll never do it. I'm a horrible husband. What do you think of me? Well, that's judgmental, isn't it? Do you ever notice something about judgmentalism? It isn't curious. Judgmental, judgmentalism is accusational. And sometimes in this space between, we make accusations. How could you say that about me? How could you think things about me? How could you make those connections? I wasn't trying to do that. I was just having a day. There were all sorts of circumstances that explained why I was doing what I was doing. Judgmentalism is deep. Or judgmentalism is very dangerous for our souls. Not only does it make us judge other people, but it makes us judge what they think about us. And that's why the scripture tells us, it's, no, go back, it separates us from our close friends. It erodes relationships. It ruins those close people that we have in our life and that connection that we have with them. It destroys community. What are you filling your space between with? Accusations, they lack curiosity, but they're very quick to find answers, aren't they? If you want to test for like, okay, am I judgmental? I think one way to find out, am I judgmental, is are you constantly thinking other people are judging you? Something that we don't always like to admit is sometimes the most judgmental people are the ones who always assume and accuse other people of judging them. And that's how we're filling our space between. Judgmental people lack curiosity. Are you curious? Love is curious. Love asks those questions. Love gives the benefit of the doubt. Love believes the best in people. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? If you haven't, you've maybe heard at a wedding before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not proud. It's not boastful. It doesn't keep track of right and wrong. Instead, it always cheers for justice. Love seeks out the best in people. God tells us in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that this love is the thing that will last forever. Judgment will not. All these, all these times in our lives where we feel like, oh, I just need to be quick to the answer and figure out what somebody's saying about me. What am I filling my space between with? The accusation. That time will end, but love will last. Let's exercise love. The scriptures tell us also in Colossians chapter three, what it says is make allowance and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember what Jesus said about that guy in Matthew chapter 18? He was forgiven a debt of millions of dollars and he couldn't go and turn around and forgive somebody for thousands of dollars of debt. What are we doing with it? What are we doing with the forgiveness that God has shown us? As God's children, we have inherited God's love. What are we doing with it? Are we holding on to cacti everywhere that we go? Or are we willing to put it down and pass through it? It says this in the book of Proverbs as well. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. The word there for overlooking, it's a cool word. It's avar. Everybody say avar. 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 It means to overlook and it literally means to pass through. To pass through. In the Bible, there is an enemy. And the enemy's name is also in the book of Revelation chapter 12. It tells us the enemy is the accuser. This accuser is Satan. It's the devil. And oftentimes when we're walking through our life, Satan will try to trip you up. Try to get you to be caught up 
on those easily offendable things, those easily offendable items. Come on, get down here. Come on, fall down, fall down. I'm going to trip you up. But God calls us into a life that doesn't get tripped up over those things. God calls us into a life where we can say, I'm going to pass through this. I'm going to choose to fill this space between with love. What is going to connect you in that time between the action and the reaction? Is it going to be judgment and accusation that just simply sends us in isolation? Or will it be love that passes through and says to the enemy, you do not get to tear me down. You do not get to bring me down into low places. Instead, I will pass through it. God has called me to a life that is above that. What are you filling your space between with? It's hard. I know that it's so hard. Because there are things all around us that can offend us at any given moment. If you've been around Kairos for a while, you know that I've told stories about this guy on this next screen. His name is Mark. That's me and that's Mark. Mark was one of my best friends when I was living in Minnesota. Um, Mark volunteered at the church that I interned at. I was the uh, morning custodian as well. And he was there every single morning at 6.30 just to volunteer and help me out. And so we'd get lunch together. We'd drive around together. We'd go around the Twin Cities all the time. One time, this exact day actually, when I took that picture... We were driving, uh, not driving when we took the picture. Just don't be offended by that. Anyway, not driving when we took the picture. But one day, we are probably no farther than 500 feet from the church that, that I was working at and the church that he volunteered at. We take the picture, we're driving, and I stop at a stop sign. And I see in my rear view mirror, there is a car that is approaching me from behind. And I'm starting to get nervous because this car isn't slowing down. At the very last second, I see that car almost kind of like almost upend itself because he's slamming the brakes so hard. But nonetheless, he just taps my back bumper, right? Not a lot of damage, but there was damage. Now, I was like, I mean, you know how this is when you're a student. I was in seminary at the time. Like, you don't have money for car repairs. My initial reaction was, oh, no, this is the end of everything. I'm not going to be able to get anywhere. I mean, it was like a scratch on the back bumper. But my mind immediately went to, this is the worst thing ever. I get out of my car. I go to the person in the back, and he's apologizing. Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. He owned up to it. He's like, I was looking at my phone. I'm sorry. And I'm like, worked up. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Mark, who's about four foot two, I think. Mark gets out of the car, and he just walks up, looks at the bumper. He goes, oh, look at that. Mark, now is not the time for positivity. I mean, like, in my, in my mind, like, I mean, do I need to go to the hospital? You know what I mean? Like, do I have whiplash? And Mark's like, ah, look at that. I'm like, yeah, look at that, Mark. And he just goes, hey, good thing no one's hurt. I'm like, Mark, 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 and I'm like stepping into the space between the action and the reaction. Mark, let's think about this. Let's think about this. He was on his phone. He really could have hurt somebody. Yeah, but he didn't hurt somebody. Mark then said something to me that I said to you earlier, and he said it like almost, like, it's almost like he was in like a, like a, I don't even know, like a trance when he said it. He looked up to the sky and he said, life is too short and our calling is too big to get offended over the little things. I will never forget that he said that. He told me later on that he heard it in like some Western movie, but I think it's great. (laughs) Life is too short and our calling is too great to be offended by little things in life. One more time, let me put this on the screen and tell you, your life is more important than the offenses that hurt you. 
I'm not saying that to say that the things that offend you never matter. Of course they matter. The things that offend you, they do matter. And eventually when that becomes a habit from somebody else, a line needs to be drawn. There need to be boundaries in place. But your life, your life is more important than those things. And because your life is more important, those things shouldn't control you. You get to pass through them. Wouldn't that be nice to be able to walk through life and be like, I know that things are trying to bring me down. I know that they're trying to drag me. I know that they're trying to take me down to dark places that my soul was never meant to live. I know that it's trying to convince me and tempt me to hold on to that cactus tighter and tighter, and I'm going to believe. I'm going to get them back. But how would it feel to pass through? I'm not tripping up over that. I invite you sometime this week to open a Bible Open up your Bible app on your phone. It's so easy to access on your phone. Read the stories of Jesus. He didn't get offended. He refused to let the big things, but also the little things, slow him down. What if he let something take him off of his calling? We wouldn't be here gathered. What if Jesus got really bothered by his disciples one day? Matthew, why didn't you listen to my sermon? Thomas, you didn't even compliment my miracle. I mean, my goodness, I just fed 5,000 people. What, do you want me to walk on water next? And then there are the things that really should have offended him. I mean, he was betrayed. He was accused of just being who he was, the son of God. And what did he do wrong? What was his action? His action was only ever love. And how did people fill that space between for him? They judged him, they accused him. And it should have offended him. But what was his reaction? Listen, you can live your life with accusations. You can live your life in a state of judgmentalism. But no one, and I mean no one, has ever changed the world walking around with a bitter heart. Nobody changes the world from bitterness. That weekend after the car accident, if you will, um, I was greeting people at church. And this young man walks in and I recognized him. It was the kid who lightly bumped my back bumper with his car. And he looked at me and at first he looked a little bit embarrassed and I looked at him and I looked a little embarrassed like, yeah, I work here, sorry. <laughs> I know I should have been better than that. I said, hey, is, is, that, is that guy who was with you, is he here? Like, yeah, Mark's always here. He said, well, he forgave me and he didn't shame me. He didn't accuse me. He didn't judge me. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. He said, so I wanted to go the places that he goes. I get Mark. I bring him over. I'm like, Mark, you got to hear what this guy has to say about you. And like, you can't make this up. Mark looks at him, pulls up the newspaper. He goes, can you believe how bad the twins lost last week, last night? 
he was just so unassuming about everything. For the rest of the time that I lived up in Minnesota, that guy who rear-ended me was at church every single weekend. He got involved in a small group. He went on a mission trip to Haiti. His life changed because somebody filled the space between for him with love. What are you going to fill the space between with? There was space between us and God, right? The scriptures tell us this. I mean, it's beautiful. The scriptures tell us that we've been united with Jesus. We were once away from God. There was space between us. But now we've been brought near to him by the blood of Christ. So what did Jesus do with the space between? Jesus saw our action and he knew the only reaction that would save us. And he filled the space between with love, with his cross. He didn't get tripped up. The devil couldn't bring him down. He passed through the offense and he filled the space with love to give us a way to get close with that God who makes us feel secure so we don't have to feel offended. You, I'm serious. You could go the rest of this week. You go the rest of this week and somebody doesn't thank you for opening the door. Somebody cuts you in line. Somebody's too loud in the library. You could pass through it. You really could. You could choose to love that person instead of judge that person. You could give that person the same grace that you give yourself. You give your, that person the same grace that more importantly, God has given you. Let me be really clear here. There's a reason why for two weeks we talked about how God gives you grace. You can say, I'm sorry, knowing that God will forgive you. You can forgive yourself knowing that God's grace has sufficed for you. So now what are you gonna do with it? I find that the people who are so unnecessarily rude to me almost every single time. It's because they're going through something. And so when they act with offense, I'm going to fill the space between with love. Kairos, I invite you to fill the space between with love. Follow the example of Jesus who filled the space between us and him with love. Amen. Stand on up. Make sure you come back next week. We'll talk more about how to forgive. Amen.